2: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great
2: job. We
3: love
0: it. What can we say? He's Chris Mannix. He's employed by Sports Illustrated.
4: The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the crossover NBA podcast. If you have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh,
0: thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix.
4: All right, John Thomas is a five year NBA veteran. He's also a native of Minneapolis. He played his college ball at the University of Minnesota, played one season with the Timberwolves, is now the team's VP of basketball development. And as we were discussing off air, he would also regularly get his ass kicked by a skinny 18-year-old ball boy <laughs> during his one season in Boston. And John joins me here on the show. What's up, JT? Yeah,
3: well, first and foremost, before I, I get to the mess talk, um, it's an honor and a privilege uh, to, to be on. I've obviously followed you uh, since your, your career has, has really blossomed, uh, not only in the boxing ranks, but in the basketball ranks and just in general. Uh, You've always been quick-witted, uh, intelligent, uh, and more importantly, you listen to perspective, which is one thing that I've truly appreciated about you and what you stand for. Uh, second, on to the trash talk, you're going to stop trashing my name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what you say didn't happen. I mean, yes, the, the, the truth was we did play one-on-one. Uh, and while you might have hit a few shots uh, and, and, you know, celebrated with the dirty bird, um, more often than not, uh, you, you got bliss. But I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you have that for for now. Yeah,
4: you know, I stopped. <laughs> I, I stopped doing that as a ball boy when I accidentally <laughs> sprained the. You remember Steve Hamer? Steve Hamer played in the NBA for a cup of coffee. I think it was Tennessee or one of those colleges. He was a second round pick. And Steve Hamer landed on my ankle and, and on my foot and twisted his ankle. After that, I'm like, I'm not screwing around. I'm going to wind up getting like Paul Pierce hurt during a playoff game. So like, that and, stuff's bas- got to be
3: out. The basketball gods um, frown upon those who disparage the skill set of those who were put in so much time.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, well, it's always good to to catch up with you. And, you know, it, uh, a time like this, it's, you know, even more uh, special to talk to you about this stuff because, you know, as I mentioned at the top, you are a native of Minneapolis. You were telling me earlier uh, where George Floyd was killed was right around the area that you grew up. And, you know, it's been a little over a week since the incident in Minnesota. And I guess I'd like to start with for you as someone with such close ties to the city. To the state, and of course, the Timberwolves organization. What what has it been like for you? What has the experience of the last week been like?
3: And, um, I I haven't learned so much about myself, uh, my organization, my teammates within the organization, our community, uh, our country, our world, more than I have probably within the span of this past week. You know, we, we go from the, the backdrop of, of having coronavirus, which, by the way, is, is still evident and real. And the last time I checked, according to uh, Dr. Robbie Sika, uh, we're at 85 percent capacity of hospitals. So certainly while the entire nation took a moment to to pause uh, for for the past nine weeks uh, and the rest of the world for, for certainly much longer, um, moving from that into, you know, what happened with the killing of George Floyd and, uh, you know, really the, the pendulum swinging in the direction of, of really having sort of the, the incendiary nature of what literally happened blocks away from, from where I grew up and I'm, I'm wearing the Roosevelt Teddy shirt to represent because I used to ride the bus past 38th in, in Chicago and I grew up on 38th and 5th. And even as as an elementary uh, student, I used to walk past what was Cut Foods. And back in the day, it was kind of a general convenience store where I had all the Trapper Keeper, uh, you know, my Transformers (laughs) Trapper Keeper and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Trapper Keeper materials that I would get from the store. So it certainly has hit hit, hit home for me personally. Uh, But I've been able to watch, like all of us, so many things of utter disgrace, sadness, frustration, but also I don't want to take away from the moments of beauty. And um, it, it's been tough. Uh, I've been emotional. Uh, I've felt pressure. Um, I've I've figured out ways and how do I really utilize my voice as the platform? Being a native and someone who works as an organization, you know, someone who has. Uh, a beautiful wife and, and three children uh, who are young and you want to be able to teach them what it, what it's like. And uh, there's just a lot that's gone through my mind as, as I'm sure uh, is the same for uh, you know, my, my black uh, constituents, as well as uh, the white counterparts, frankly speaking. And and for everyone in between and across all, all genders, races and, and uh, cultures. So, uh, in a nutshell, it's, it's it's been a lot.
4: You you mentioned things that you've learned over the last week from you know the players in the organization, people in the organization. What kind of things are we talking about? What what has this incident kind of brought to light for you?
3: I think the things that stick out um, are, are one: we all play a role in what happened and is happening. Uh, certainly, when you think about the the plight of, of uh, blacks and African Americans, uh, you know there's. I've been proud of, of for example, Carl Anthony Towns and Josh Okogie and Stephen Jackson uh, and Rashad Vaughn and you know local college standouts, P.J. Hill and Royce White. You know they've taken to the front lines and participated in demonstrations that I think are, are powerful. It certainly when you think about someone who's a family man and, uh, and, and kind of reflecting on some level of self-awareness, uh, I'm a zero to 100 type of person. And as a six foot eight black man, if I would have gone out in, in those first days of protest, uh, I probably would have went to 100. So, you know, one thing I've learned is that I have a role to play similar to basketball players, as you well know, and how much I dominated you in the post. Uh, you, you rightly so probably had a better jump shot. I hate to admit it at the time, but, you know, I just didn't work on it as much. Um, but what what that speaks to me is that, you know, we all can really utilize our voice, uh, our social media, our community active, uh, activism, uh, our hearts to provide the, the beautiful scene that I saw, which was food, water, earplugs, uh mosquito spray i mean there's so many people just giving so we're all we're all playing a role in this um the other the other thing i learned is that there's a lot of uh you know with with white uh, teammates and and constituents across the board there's a lot of white guilt associated with not knowing what to say or what to do what are the resources that are at hand i mean the complexities of for example driving down if you want to protest where do I park? Is it safe? Uh, you know, who's organizing the protests? Uh, there's a lot of questions that come along with something as, as, as simple as, as that. Um, the other piece to it is there's black guilt uh, that's associated with this as well. Um, so when I think about, you know, all of the things that are sort of transpired just across the board, um, you know, there's, there's a guilt and a shame associated with wanting to do more or, you know, not having the resources or, you know, having the tough conversations either individually with people or within the organization. Um, these are, these are really, um, hard times. Um, and, and, and I guess the the last thing that I would say is that, you know, it's really just a portrayal of, you know, the the incidents that are happening and while we can't dispute video, uh, there's always uh, more to it than meets the eye. So, you know, when I think about the ways in which a lot of stuff that's happened is portrayed, uh, it tends to lead with a negative tone, and if it bleeds, it leads. So, um, you know, I, I, I've been watching, I think, like all of us, on what's being said and ultimately what we absorb, and it's, it's left a sense of heaviness that, you know, has, has really empowered me and members of our organization you know, everyone from Ryan Saunders on the Wolves' side to Cheryl Reeve on the Lynx side, to leaders on our our, our, our business side, uh, to our basketball side. I mean, we're all essentially at the epicenter of where this started. So I think we have a we have a golden opportunity to really create change. And and uh, I think it more than any time before, uh, America's listening.
4: You know, you a few things you said there. One. Uh, it really is remarkable the composure shown by Carl Anthony Towns, who just weeks ago lost his mother to coronavirus. And to to kind of be able to to compartmentalize that and stand up there with Steven Jackson and walk the streets of Minnesota is really, I mean, I don't know what you thought when you first saw him there, but that was really remarkable for me to see.
3: Super proud is, is the, the thing that, you know the, that I think about is that as as tough as it was for him to lose uh, the, you know a rock in his household and the cornerstone of his family uh, him him showing up for injustice in frankly a state that is not his own in uh, growing up in New Jersey I think speaks volumes for what he believes about the social injustice that transpired in front of our eyes uh, and really was just a tipping point around. Um, you know, what happens to a community that's near and dear to his heart, uh, but just the level of solidarity and his willingness to just create a presence. And, and oftentimes, and that's when I talk about the, the the different roles that we play, he didn't say a word. And I don't think any of us expected him to say a word with, with having such a heavy heart. Um, but ultimately, the fact that he showed up um, and, and at least, uh, is standing for, um, you know, making a stance for inequality was, uh, a super proud moment personally. And I think for our entire organization,
4: you know, these, these times lead to, and you kind of touched on it, some tough conversations that are had. I mean, what, what's been the toughest type of conversation that you've had, you don't have to name any names of who you're talking to, but you know, the, those, the conversations that really bring out the emotion and all
3: man um you know there's a lot of them i, I would say when you think about uh, you know how how we can as as a collective think about how we're taking the right type of steps to just create actionable moments um it's easy for those that you know, might not understand what a specific individual might be going through to say, you shouldn't be angry. But, um, you know, when you have conversations with those people that are angry, uh, I think our natural defense, just based upon really going back to one thing we all have is our brain and and sort of the fight, flight, or flee response, or fight, I should say, fight, flight, or freeze response, (laughs) Um, we have to get past that, that let's call it bias and, and fear to just listen. So when people are angry, so when you talk about tough conversations, it's whether they're black, white, native American, uh, there's a lot of people of a lot of different races. There's a lot of, you know, women also in, are showing up for, for this cause and they're angry. So having conversations with angry people is is difficult. Uh, the other tough conversations are just around trying to come to a place of empathy. Right? I think it's uh, there's been a narrative that says, you know, we understand. Well, you don't truly understand unless you're a black person and has been, you know, I sit here in my car and I've got, uh, you know, after the killing of Philando Castile, I made sure that, uh, my license and registration was uh, was in the flap of where my where my mirror is and there's there's there 's white people frankly that don 't have to even think about that mm-hmm. you know so and having conversations of just sharing perspective and, and trying to help people empathize because you can 't understand no different than you and i can 't understand what it 's like to be a woman or to have a a, a baby in our bellies. Uh, people can't understand what it's like on our side to have some level of tint to our skin that automatically brings up people's defense system for years that has created this level of oppression that has been passed down systematically uh, and through generations just around, um, you know, just the, the lack of opportunity and the lack of, you know, an, an even playing field.
4: Mm. Yeah. You know, you mentioned trying to understand what other people experience. That that's something for me. I've tried to spend this week, you know, just absorbing that. I mean, from whether it's, you know, executives in the league, you know, players, retired players such as yourself, even I had a conversation with Shakur Stevenson, a boxer just yesterday who he was he's I think 22 years old, you know, talking about being in the back seat of his car when a cop pulled up with his gun out, you know, for I mean this this is all stuff that, you know, that you're right, you know, most people all white people can't really wrap their heads around, just can't experience it. And you, as you know, Doc Rivers said something this week about how athletes are looked at differently when they're in uniform and when they're with you're out of uniform. And you, as a star basketball player in Minnesota, I mean, did you feel that? Did you feel like you know, people looked at you one way when you were on the floor, whether it's at high school or at the University of Minnesota or eventually in the NBA, and it just felt like a different experience, you know, when the uniform came off and you were out just in, in public or in, you know, potentially difficult situations.
3: Absolutely. I think, you know, the, probably the best, uh, best way to re- analyze that is if you think about, uh, you know, characters that are played on television – and when the, you've seen them in front of your face for so long playing a certain character, they become typecast, and it's it's really hard for them to to get other roles because people can't forget. Uh, like a Gary Coleman, he could never ever do anything serious because every every time you think of him, it's what you talk about Willis, uh, and that's just one example of many. So specific to, you know, even when LeBron came out and and people are like, you're an athlete, you should. You know, you should stick to playing basketball or, you know, at the end of the day, basketball isn't who we are. It's it's what we do for a short period of time. And the ability, the ability to utilize our platform because the attention is squarely on our shoulders, uh, is, it comes from a place of power. Um, I don't pretend to be, uh, you know, an, an expert in politics or, or someone who is an outright civil rights activist. Um really when we think about the types of roles that we play um, just because I played basketball, it doesn't mean that I don't have opinion. It doesn't mean that I can't come to a place of creating some level of conversation. And more importantly, uh, how can I along with my teammates and with those members of the local and broader community be a part of a solution through action. Um, You know, the, the power of the fist is mightier than the single finger. So you know, that, that, yes, you know, I, I have felt that. And um, I think a lot of us former athletes and current athletes feel that, is that, you know, our role as, as people in society is to contribute to it. And playing basketball, football, whatever sport we might play, happens to be just one facet of, of contribution that we have.
2: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: You mentioned that now feels like a time when we can create change. That's one of the things that, you know, you hope for, but it just feels like we just move past things and we don't address things we don't address these issues i mean we watched rodney king get beaten within an inch of his life in the early 1990s and we're still here you know walter scott shot in the back you know killed running away from an unarmed from an armed police officer and we're still here eric garner you know you mentioned castillo and we're still here i mean how do we get how do we move how do we move this forward what needs to be done to move this forward
3: uh we have to take uh, a a unified stance for those that are creating the policies and procedures of our local and national government and you hear everyone saying vote and i would tell you even in conversations that people have lost faith in in our system but if if you don't take action um, things will remain the same and now more than a time of ever, just because it was the tipping point, and and I compare it to when you think about the pendulum swinging, it has swung in such a far direction that the equal and opposite reaction is that it swings back in the in the direction of positivity. So, uh, because uh, unlike Rodney King, and you know, as we have grown in technology and the use of technology, not only has the black community uh, said, see, this is what we face. Uh, You're you're killing us. We're not even talking about the times that, you know, people like me get pulled over for, and and I have no record for doing absolutely nothing, being racially profiled. Um, But it's, the world is now starting to see in the stage of, you know, again, the the, the backdrop of the coronavirus and being frustrated with uh, the lack of connection to people. And then you're starting to see all these killings that happen. um, It was certainly the tipping point. So, you know, putting pressure on and educating ourselves around how we can do that, uh, I think, is, is at such a vital stage that uh, our, our local politicians and those who are the policymakers, and for those who are in power who fund uh, our, our government, it's really educating ourselves around what are the, the necessary steps that we can do to put our boots on the ground um, with the local community. Uh, but as a whole, uh, I feel like it's incumbent upon us, you know, and, and, and again, being the epicenter to really start to create vital programs. And and we're starting to do that.
4: When, when you say something like, you know, the people have lost faith in the system and and I don't, I I believe that to be very true. I mean, what, I mean, what do you mean by that? Is that young people that you talk to? Um, Can you just elaborate a little on that?
3: Yeah, I would say, I mean, when, when they lose faith, it's because, you know, to, if you use it against the backdrop of our voices not being heard, just look at how much violence has happened prior to, um, you know, what happened with the killing of George Floyd. It's not like it's the first time that we've protested. It's not like it's the first time that, you know, lootings have happened. It's not like it's the first time that you don't see angry people screaming at police. This has been going on for years. So when you think about the ways in which a, a, you know the frustration mounts it's because you know if you've ever been in a conversation and people keep interrupting you at some point you're just like all right what why am i even having this conversation and think about that that is your life based upon the color of your skin and you look across the aisle and see that for those that don't have that same problem they're they're forging ahead and so i mean it's not in just uh really the political system. I think oftentimes because we're just, we're, we've become so disconnected as a society. Um, I mean, you just think about right now, what's happening within the zoom call. If you and I were on a phone call, you wouldn't be able to see my face. I wouldn't be able to see your face And coronavirus to certainly put that a, a, up front. But for the first time in a long time, we're having tough conversations because in solidarity, whether you're black or white, there are people that are saying that it's not right, so faith really just comes in the belief that one that if if we do vote um, and if we want to make a difference first and foremost, I urge the black community to educate yourself around it and then ultimately show up. Uh, you know we have to be the, the and that's and it's not just it's not just incumbent upon the black community it's it really comes down to uh it the the human community and as a collective with shared values on knowing that it's it's not right to kill someone by strangling them uh you know essentially for 9 minutes what we have to do is create change to restore the faith in in policy in government and people
4: yeah and i i'm look i know voting is not the the solution to the problem for sure. It's not the, but I did, I did get somewhat, uh, I did feel pretty happy when I saw, you know, Ella Jones getting elected mayor in Ferguson, Missouri, the first black mayor in Ferguson, Missouri this week like that. And this is what six years, I think removed from Michael Brown and that situation in Ferguson. Like that's, that to me is pretty cool. Like it, as someone that is, you know, hopefully going to one day grow up to be an old white man, like there's too many <laughs> old white men that are making decisions right now in this country, JT. There's just too, there's too, it's not representative of what this country actually is.
3: No, and, and at the end of the day, what it comes down to is that we're all either moving in a direction of love or moving in a direction of fear. And, and bigotry and hate, And violence uh, all come from a place of fear. You just don't understand that. um, You know, at the end of the day, there within any race, there are people that you know lash out out of frustration and and create some level of violence that we all do not condone. Um, But I think it comes down to is that because the color of my skin is different, and I grew up in a different maybe a community in you. And I don't possibly eat the same foods. Um, we don't listen to the same music. So you look at all these differences that are created and rather than being inquisitive and shutting down our animal brain and saying, you know what, I might not understand it. My subconscious tells me that you, know, you don't look like me. And based upon the image that the media has portrayed about what you look like, uh, I'm scared. Um, but I don't want to be scared anymore because you're not armed. Uh, I'd rather ask you questions. Uh, and equally as so, um, you know, the same thing has to happen from, from black people to white people. Uh, and and frankly, for, for all races, because, again, while this is the biggest issue that's staring us in the face, um, you know, uh, across multiple color, gender, sexual identity, I mean, you know that—that's the other thing—is that right now we're—we're we're, we're talking about you know injustices around um, you know what's happening in the black community, but it's Pride Month, and you know the LGBTQ community has been screaming this for a long time. Uh, when you think about the beauty that I saw of the Native American community, you know, the Malax band of Ojibwe showing up with their jingle dresses and showing up for us. And I the, and the question that immediately that I had. It was like, when have we showed up for them? Mm. Uh, you know, and watching the Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix, uh, you know, those young women that, you know, certainly had their lives altered, you know, when you think about the Me Too movement and what women have been saying for so long. So, Chris, man, this is, uh, and I certainly don't want to take away from, you know, what's happening, but injustice in general has just been so heavy. Uh, across the board and if we can take the right steps in in such a positive direction around the injustices and and empathizing and you know getting together and inviting you know whites and inviting blacks to conversations whether it's through zoom to start and then when this coronavirus ultimately lifts you know, coming to each other's neighborhoods where the old block parties and the barbecues used to go down. And yeah, I might not listen to what you listen to, but um, that's okay. And being able to create that sense of community is the thing we've gotten so far away from based upon, I think, our need to succeed. And, you know, by being digital warriors where we're taking something we see and we fire off because we're angry without necessarily thinking about a solution. So... There's there's a lot that needs to transpire, and you know I, I feel fortunate to be a part of this community. Uh, I've, I've chosen to look at, and albeit I've seen the the negative, I've chosen to look at all the positive that's happening, because I'm an optimist by nature. Uh, I'm so proud to be a member of the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx organization, and what we're doing from a leadership standpoint to really push out actionable plans, um, and more importantly as a as a community member of, of Minneapolis uh, and someone who grew up in that area and uh, you know, someone who continues to be an avid learner and wants to just help in the best way that I can, figuring out ways how I utilize my personal platform, our company's platform, and more importantly, just outside of this, teaching my children uh, and connecting with the, with the community to really uh, you know, build some solidarity.
4: I'm sure you've heard this question, John, and I've asked it to, to different people over the last week as, you know, when, when white people ask, you know, what, what should I do? What, what can I do to, to help to, to make this better? I mean, how do you answer that question?
3: Well, I mean, it's like I mentioned, it's kind of on the front end of, of the podcast mm-hmm. is you'll never understand what it's like to have color on your skin, and that's okay. Similarly, I'll never understand for well-intentioned white people, uh, when you think about the ways in which you have that guilt and you are within your own right to feel that way, I'll never understand what it's like to be white. But what I can say is that it, it starts with, in my opinion, with vulnerability. And it's okay to say that I have some guilt associated with not knowing what to say. But I know that not saying anything doesn't solve the problem. And to be able to list out just a few thoughts, like, you know, a week has transpired, but there's been so much that's happened from, you know, how are you doing with the coronavirus all the way up until the the recent events? Like, what was your life like? What have you done? What have you learned? What can you share that's positive right now? Let's talk about some solutions. So I think just creating some sense of vulnerability, I think is important. Um, allowing people to rest with their truth, right? My truth might be different than your truth, but Chris, man, I love you. And and even though you thought you crossed me over, at the end of the day, um, you know, we we need to come to some some common ground and figure out how and which we're doing is utilizing your platform in support of building a better community. Um, So um, I think that's important the human aspects of what we all do. You know, I, I mentioned breaking bread. Food is a food is a wonderful way of, of getting a chance to know people. So uh, just learn. Um, you have to be intentional. If you want to solve the problem, you have to be intentional by asking your questions around what those problems might be. I would also say that there's probably a bunch of different questions or potential biases around, you know, black culture and, you know, why. And look, we... no matter what I, I, wherever community I come from, I have color to my skin. You don't know that until you start asking me questions. All you see is black. Uh, And similarly on, 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 on the white side too. So everyone has a story. So I think the more that we can humanize our approach to, you know, empathy, empathy, and and at least trying to create the right type of conversations to understand um, certainly. And then I think the last thing which I touched on was just, this is a political issue uh, because, you know, those who are in power are, are funded by the government and, you know, those policies just need to change. So it's, it's understanding, you know, what are those, what are those steps that you need to take? And if you don't understand then figure out ways uh, to educate yourself, and there's a whole bunch of other fun resources too. Like, uh, you know, things you can think about online, uh, old movies. You know, one of my team members mentioned, uh, who's younger than never seen do the right thing and how uh, and I won't spoil it for for those that haven't seen it, but you know towards the end of the movie and you see the scene it is is reminiscent of what's going on right now, and that movie was what nineteen eighty nine you know so it's twenty twenty but even even prior to that, you can go back i mean this has been going on for far too long, and um, you know i I genuinely just enjoy uh, the, the thought of that this will actually change the direction of our society. Um, super important. So I would just say, you know, just those are the things that come to mind.
4: You know, as as a senior member of an organization, what do you see the role of organizations in this time being? I mean, now it's like everybody kind of gets caught up a little bit, maybe a little bit too much in statements made by teams. I mean, as we speak, you know, it's a, What did the Knicks say? Why didn't the Spurs say it's like sometimes I feel like we lose the forest through the trees here. Like the statements are less important than the actions of, of teams. Like what, what do you see as, as the role organizations should play going forward? And what are you trying to do as a part of an organization to move this forward?
3: Statements are just the beginning. It's no different than me sending out a tweet or our hashtag blackout Tuesday, uh, you know, to show some solidarity. That's great. But what's going to happen six months from now, uh, you know, and how quickly George Floyd uh, superseded everything that was happening with the coronavirus. You know, we have a tendency within our society to forget what's going on. And whether there certain things that are intentional or, or not, uh, we're, we're always looking at the next hottest thing that's taking our attention. But at the crux of, of, of all these issues around social injustice, I, I believe it's important that um, when you think about it from an organizational perspective, just understanding how how is it that you connect with the community uh, for specifically for the areas that I oversee within our organization with youth basketball with an alumni program and with with some interface with our basketball operations, uh, I think about the ways in which we 're portraying our programs and how ultimately they can start to build that bridge normally, if you think about you know how you know, people come to us, they come to our facility to enjoy a Timberwolves and Lynx games. Uh, We have to flip that narrative and go out to the community and say that, you know, both from a business and basketball operations perspective, we have our boots on the ground to first and foremost listen. Uh, And from that, because if, if we don't put it in a space that, you know, you can actually see it, it's almost like it didn't happen. So our marketing efforts and the content that we put out has to be reflective of the initial statement that we make around how the, the social injustice just is, is not allowed anymore. So I mean, I, within my groups and the departments that I see that oversee, it's like, uh, I, I want to build programs that have sustainable impact. And well beyond just saying, you know what? we're, we're going to provide a youth basketball program that you know, ultimately pulls in revenue, how are we addressing what's happening in North and South Minneapolis specific to the types of programs that that could endear themselves to, uh, you know, teaching our young black boys and girls on that? They, they have a voice that, uh, you know, these are the specific tactics and strategies that you should deploy when you're looking to advance to the next level, whether it be high school or college. Uh, you know, it, how does our basketball operations team join the conversation specific to. You know, this is how we scout. And the funny thing that I've seen in my transition from being a former athlete and moving to business is that the core tenets are similar. And, you know, all the disciplines that I've learned as an as a athlete are being applied to business. So um, at the end of the day, we're all charged with solving problems. We have a major problem in, in front of us. And um, we all have to, to collectively lift our arms uh, to push this to a different place. And it starts with action.
4: Have these, I mean, Timberwolves have plenty of 20-something, you know, black athletes on the roster. Um, have, they, have you talked to many of them about how to, how to deal with this and how, to, you know, how they should respond to this? I mean, obviously not going to tell anybody how to respond, but, like, advised in any way?
3: Well, you know, organizationally, there's the, the resources that are provided for those athletes are really, you know, we can't tell them that you need to take a stand. And as I mentioned previously, it's um, you know as as a 44 year old former professional athlete, there's so much more that I've learned around the platform and how you can fully take advantage of the attention that you're receiving, and you know what you say and what you do now more than ever, uh, evidenced by you know the the cameras that are on when when you know there's policemen killing uh, you know unarmed black men. Um, our athletes are on 100%. So every time they step outside of their home, somebody recognizes them because they are few and far between. So certainly the advice around some of this is, is less to do about, you know, we want you to use your platform, but more around educating you on your platform. And if you decide to utilize your voice, it's being thoughtful uh, around the intent and, and how you effectively use it. Again, Carl showing up and not saying a single thing spoke volumes, right? Everybody, the entire world was watching when, when Carl stood there and said not a single word. When Josh Akogi, uh you know, not only stood there, but also then from there decided to use his voice. So it, it's part of this is a process. And I, I think it's no different than within the athletes. It, it's for all of us. It's learning how to play your role. And as an organization, it's our duty to provide the right resources, the right perspective, to surround them uh, with love that ultimately when they finish playing, they can say, you know what? this community meant something to me. Uh, and you guys and, and, and women in the organization truly cared about, uh, you know, who we are and what we stood for. So we will return uh, to, to make Minneapolis St. Paul uh, even better than when we when we left it.
4: Yeah, that's well said. Uh JT, it's it's always great to talk to you, man. I I'm still a little stuck on the fact that you're 44. I mean, how the hell did we get this old? Like what what just happened there? Like <laughs>
3: if if I should be as as so fortunate to to live more uh, you know, the guys, you know, youth is wasted on the young. There's so much <laughs> that I've learned that I, you know, like I said even in this week, uh we we I was fortunate enough to to witness uh, Bishop TD Jakes and Uh, on a a Zoom call with with our team. uh, One of the several things that he mentioned was just how when you think about uh, the field of, of, of football and basketball and how, you know, the playing field is even and you understand the rules in both. That's why we've seen both black and white athletes succeed within those playing fields. But when you think about life and business, Ah, uh, the playing field is not even, mm. and we oftentimes don't understand the rules. so it's it's incumbent upon all of us as a society to educate ourselves on what that looks like and how we can, if we know something, you know, do something about it, uh, you know we need to stop spewing and start doing. So I think it's it's important that when we think about you know how we lend our voice and if there's a piece of knowledge that's inside of my brain, it is my duty to share it with my family, my friends and my community, uh, as a whole to, and, and from there people can choose to do with it, what they, what they want. And as we all know, when we were younger, didn't matter how many times mom, dad, uncle, anybody said anything to us. Uh, sometimes you just got to bump your head against the wall to see how many times you can do it before it bleeds. So, um, Nah, man. It's I've I've appreciated you know these grades that I've been able to accumulate. Um, I certainly miss my playing days and the the camaraderie and the competition that was associated with it. But uh, my my purpose and, and, and mission around helping athletes to to see the broader scope of of how they can utilize their platform uh, and and with what uh, youth basketball is is means to our community and how you know you got more followers some of these high school players have more followers on Instagram than current NBA players and uh, and then when it's all said and done when you become a retired athlete you know what that looks like so I'm excited about the opportunity uh, certainly I'm saddened about what, I, what I've seen but uh, I'm very optimistic because there's so many good people in this world that want change and you know it, it's extended well beyond our borders when when you see that our other countries are joining in a cause that, um, you know, while they might not understand, they, they recognize that it's wrong. So it's such a beautiful thing to see.
4: Yeah, it really is. And and I appreciate you sharing your insights with me. Nothing, there's nothing good about this, but you know, hopefully something good comes from this and I look forward to you and I connecting again down the line and hopefully have, you know, something more positive to talk about that we're, we're advancing this more and it's not, just you know forgotten like like too many others
3: agreed uh you know i again chris um love and appreciate everything you stand for and you know continue to fight the good fight you know i'm i'm, I'm honored to, to to come on um you know we'll, we'll get a 2020 version of a dirty bird going or something and maybe we'll get a tiktok or something
4: going. <laughs> in, in, in 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 better days ahead uh, we'll have like senior circuit you know basketball the ex-player versus the ex-ball boy that'll be like our version of the big three
3: as, as long as we have paramedics standing by I'm all aboard
4: I appreciate your time John yep yeah, thanks Chris
1: to start listening.